Hey friends, my name is Yaro, though you might still know me as Sarah, and you're listening to the Daydream Rose podcast. I'm really excited to have you, and I'm a tiny bit late, unfortunately, to wish you a really beautiful new moon. But I'm hoping that you're well and that the eclipse season is really showering you with beautiful insights and that you're feeling supported and well rested right now. I have a really beautiful conversation to share with you today. Um, I talked to my friend Sophie Macklin, who is just truly magical, especially when it comes to money and abundance and being critical of all the weird and and shameful dynamics that we're working with. Um, so we talked about lots of different things, but mainly we talked about unshaming money, what it means to run an online business and relate to money, um, how we can support each other, what it can mean to have social capital. Um, so yeah, it's been really juicy and I think it's a beautiful conversation to listen to whether or not you're running a, a business yourself. A really quick plug before we go on to the, sh- to the show about my Patreon. We've reached my first goal of having 20 Patreons, which I'm really grateful for. And that means that I'm going to start running monthly free webinars about magic and self-care and herbalism and the tarot. So do join us if you like. I'm going to put the link in the show notes, but it's patreon.com slash Love. Pledges start at $3 and you're going to receive a really beautiful ritual kit each month as well as access to those webinars and really sweet love notes from me. Okay, have a really beautiful day and let me know what you think about this episode. Bye! Hi everyone, I am super excited to have Sophie Macklin on the show today. So Sophie is super special in many ways and we'll go into that, but um, she is a feminist anti-capitalist money coach. I've worked with her personally, I really love her insights, I love how she's unshaming money and how she's really helping business owners to rethink the way we're doing things and how to be accessible and honor our own time and energy at the same time. So really, really interesting stuff that I have been thinking and dreaming and working with a lot myself. Um, We initially met in a Facebook group and kind of, yeah, got to know each other that way. And then we've been following each other on Instagram. And I'm just super inspired by how Sophie um, works with these themes. And so I'm super excited to speak to her. Um, And I want to say that even if you're not running your own business, this episode is going to be super interesting to you because, yeah, Sophie is just cool. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to hand it over to you, Sophie, now so you can introduce yourself and maybe tell us where you are in the world and what nature is like around you. Mm, Yeah, thank you, Sarah. Um, So I'm on Chechenya Ohlone Territory in the city of Oakland. Um, And it's... I think it's cold, but that's because I'm used to California weather now and it's, it's probably very mild and it's cool and um, it's slightly cloudy and sort of fresh feeling outside. And um, it's interesting, the seasons are interesting here. So it's still kind of like autumn, like there's leaves on the ground and um, there's also flowers and it's kind of everything happened at once um, mm-hmm. or happening at once. And yeah, and it was the full moon last night, which was really beautiful um yeah that's what it's like here right now 
Awesome, thank you. So I've already talked a little bit about your work and I would love to go a little bit deeper um, with that. Can you maybe tell us what you see as the core of your work and how you started on this path? Because it's so unusual. Like I'm sure you didn't one day just wake up and be like, hey, I'm gonna be a feminist money coach. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> actually, a funny story of that, which is that I've been um, interested in money and redistribution and sort of radical economics for a very long time in some ways since I was a child. Um, and then I was coaching for a few years and then I was actually at this co-working event and I was writing and suddenly, and I've still got this in the, my notes where I, I'm saying like, shit, am I a money coach? <laughs> like, I, was like, I was like, I had this moment of epiphany of just like all the work I've been doing on all these things coming together. Um, and I think I had an idea about what money coach meant, you know, and it, that sounded not great to me, you know, based on, um, on all my sort of politics and things I was into. And so it was this real moment of realization, a feeling of responsibility almost, you know, when something feels like it's yours to do. Mm. Um, and, and so that happened. So, um, so yeah, but there had been like a lot of background um, in just ever since I was a child being kind of um, confused by how stuff is distributed currently, you know, and just mm -hmm. like why things are so drastically unfair and um, the concept of private property and why people were very sure they owned certain things and not, yeah. and that they weren't for others. Um, and so I've kind of explored that um, and been in a lot of radical communities who are doing interesting different things with money and stuff. Um, yeah and so then i i think part of that realization with the money coaching was just seeing how many people i know and care about who are doing amazing things in the world are not being well supported for it mm -hmm. because of um like because of the systems we're in but also because of their own feelings about money mm -hmm. um and i was just seeing yeah so many friends and other people i knew who were doing really cool things um struggling and just i wanted to bring these things together um, of just the possibilities for being able to be supported and support each other to do the things that really need to happen in the world right now. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was kind of how it was born. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, my next question is, um, can you tell us a little bit more about your backstory and how you came to be fascinated by money? So you kind of touched on this a little bit, but maybe mm -hmm. you can share with us kind of what was your first experience of making your own money? And like, what did that feel like? What were, were your thoughts when you were younger about like, like you said, it, it being very unfairly distributed and that being really su super confusing? Yeah, totally. So that that came first, like before I earned money. Like I did actually start working when I was 13 mm -hmm. um, on the weekends, like in a clothes shop in England. Um, and I came from a pretty poor family. Um, and so when I started making money, that was kind of exciting to be able to to buy things that I wanted mm -hmm. and stuff and to contribute. Um, but um yeah, I'm trying to think about sort of early money stuff. Like it was more just like looking at, yeah, inequality in the world and things on the news, like, um, and yeah, and just like not understanding why there could be so much disparity and then that kind of like seeding those questions um, and then noticing the difference like in my own family and in, um, 
people generally really don't have very much money but share it very easily mm-hmm. um, and so I came from a background of um yeah generosity and kind of taking care of each other and then mm-hmm. you know made friends or had like um yeah relationships with other people as, as a child and teenager where they had very different ways of engaging with money um and I started to notice that sort of difference that often people with more money it was harder for them to be generous mm. um, and their families didn't just sort of share everything like mine did mm. um, and that was really interesting to me and confusing at first you know really confusing because I was used to that that way of being mm. um, so yeah there's some of the things obviously it's such a huge topic and that's one of the things I just feel like money touches on every aspect of our lives you know it's all sort of bound up with our survival and our relationships yeah. um, and so I think there's been realizations and epiphanies kind of all along, but um, there's some of the things that come to mind, yeah. Mm, yeah, that's really, really affirming and beautiful to hear because I also had um, a family that was often struggling financially, um, especially at times when my mom was raising us alone, me and my sister. And I also started working at 11 and had been in that environment of really sharing, especially around food or like little treats and mm-hmm. got really, yeah, I yeah, can totally relate to that feeling of feeling like confused, like, oh, this is not how everyone is doing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and some people are very protective of their resources and they don't seem to get as much joy out of sharing. And I wonder why that is. And mm-hmm. it's a, an incredibly complicated thing to learn to understand as a young person I think mm-hmm. yeah. mm. that's fascinating I'm, I'm glad to hear that resonates with you that's really <laughs> cool to hear that story. Yeah. yeah and also this feeling of starting to work quite young and making your own money and that that's such a revelation when you're a young teenager and suddenly you, you hold these little notes of cash in your hand mm-hmm. and you're like <laughs> I can literally do whatever I want with this money mm-hmm. and in the beginning I bought sweets all the time and to mm-hmm. be honest really funny sometimes I still have these moments in a corner shop I don't know if that if I shared that with you in another session where I feel like wow I can literally buy as many sweets and like, <laughs> yeah. this is why I'm doing what I do <laughs> you know yeah and um yeah so it's so emotional and so yeah very very um formative I think our first experiences with money as well yeah totally and that, that's so funny about the sweets you did mention that in a session the other day and it, it's so <laughs> resonated like I literally remember that feeling yeah and I remember buying loads of sweets <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it just being like wow I could this I could just keep buying sweets um, and I also resonate with that that feeling when it sometimes happens now as an adult like wow I can just I can just buy this you know I can I can have these things um it's yeah it's really interesting Mm, yeah um so I know you're working a lot with online business owners but at the same time I also really feel that what what you're talking about is super relevant to all kinds of people um so I'm wondering kind of can you maybe tell us a little bit more about where you see online business owners struggle the most and why do you think that money is at the same time a taboo and like a super hype scene in online marketing Mm-hmm. yeah so so firstly I think it's huge like kind of like I was saying about how money touches on everything like I I think that's um one of the reasons it's such a huge topic in in online business and I um I think one of the things is people come to it often with a lot of longing a lot of desire for it to um 
to be this answer to things, you know, and mm-hmm. to sort of make money very quickly. And there's a lot of promises when people are getting into online businesses, you know, of you can make six figures and blah, 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 you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that, I talk to a lot of people who've kind of been through a phase of getting slightly seduced by that and then mm-hmm. having realizations about some of the, um, just that it's not as simple as do these six steps and do, this will be the answer. Yeah. Um, and they're kind of coming out of that. So I think that's like a weird, um, almost like artificial uh, pressure or thing that's been sort of put into a lot of this online marketing stuff um, mm-hmm. is people having to kind of unlearn some of those seductive stories mm-hmm. when they're first getting into it. But um, yeah, so I think one of the things I see people struggle with a lot um, is a loneliness around money actually is the word that's mm. coming um is just like feeling like they can't talk to other people about it mm. um, and there being quite a lot of um shame often if people on sort of both ends like if people aren't making as much money as they think they should be making mm-hmm. um but feeling like they have to publicly present as if they are um mm-hmm. and alternatively if people do start making money sometimes they're worried about people seeing that too and hiding that mm-hmm. um, and I think it's because there's so much tied to money in our culture around worthiness and money um, and also this idea of meritocracy that people who deserve money have money mm-hmm. and if you don't it's somehow a personal failing or personal fault Mm-hmm. And I think these are some of the ingredients that lead to it being like highly charged and then a kind of hidden or taboo thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much to yeah. say. I'm talking around it a bit, but no, yeah. no, no. Yeah. That makes total, total sense. And I, I really actually count myself as one of these people that have been initially seduced by this idea that, an online business could be a fairly quick way of money making or, you know, quicker than other ways, at least. Um, I did a big business training or a big online business training that's very popular in 2015. Um, That was after I had been freelancing basically on minimum wage really for many, many years as a translator and copy editor. Mm -hmm. And I had then received a grant to do an MA and came out of that super excited, but very unclear (laughs) and um did this business training and um yeah I wouldn't say that I imagined things to be easier but I had really no idea how deep and challenging and beautiful at the same time this journey of of running an online business would be and how much it could bring up about self and value and Mm. you know resources and all that stuff and I think we're we're still really lacking conversations about who can make it and how and by that i mean i think there's this idea that the internet is much more democratic and anyone Mm -hmm. can make something happen and i think to some extent that's really true and i'm so grateful for the tools that we now have such as social media where we can find this super niche thing and just be ourselves Mm -hmm. and find our people that way and then there's stuff like Patreon. I started one this year, really, really love that exchange so much and the energy of it. Mm. But I, I think we're not acknowledging enough that um, it takes social or financial capital or both to mm. build a platform quite quickly and find an audience. And, and 
and for me, it's also true that has taken more than a decade of unpaid labor, really. I started blogging when I was a teenager, and and that's a luxury that I had the time to do that. Um, mm -hmm. Even, you know, my family didn't have a lot of money, but it just happened to be something that came easily to me, and that's not true for everyone. So it's really not, mm -hmm. you know, it's really not the super democratic access. But also, I think it's totally okay to be excited about the, the new amazing possibilities that we do have um it's just not as as simple as many facebook ads about you know making six figures yeah. and humans making it uh sound i think yeah totally and i'm glad you brought that up. like i think that's a really important thing just about that um social and financial capital making it easier not just mm. um not that it's impossible to do it without it but um mm -hmm. that it's it's very very hard to do it without it and that mm -hmm. most people who have um online businesses especially if they move quite quickly have significant social financial capital already mm. and the kind of social capital like with people with some amount of money and privilege mm -hmm. um and that that's something that um like i and actually you were part of this project i did a, a project in the summer of 100 conversations about money yes um yeah it was really it was really a wonderful Thing. and I spoke to a lot of people in quick succession and one of my big takeaways from that and most people that I spoke to were uh, online business owners of some sort was just the um, how a lot of people have either partners or parents um, supporting them basically mm -hmm. or have or supported them in the beginning of their business and that's kind of how they are either able to keep going because it's mm -hmm. um, being supported like that or um how they were able to start in the beginning and mm. um, and that a lot of people who don't have that um are really struggling and mm. that's something that i am actually planning to write a thing about that because i want that to be really known and public because i spoke to a lot of people who think it's their own personal failing that they're struggling in business when actually yeah. it's that they don't have the financial backing of a lot of the people mm. they're looking up to online mm -hmm. um and and I just know that in my own life, um, for me to be able to do what I'm doing and have done, um, like my family doesn't have much money, but I have borrowed money from friends. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what has made it possible for me to do what I'm doing full time and sort of experiment with things um, and launch things at various times, you know, like I, without having to, also make sure I have uh, the security of a full-time job or whatever in the past, you know, mm -hmm. um, and that that required having friends who had access to money yeah. um, at the time. And so, yeah, just that it's significant, those, those pieces of mm -hmm. what you have access to and what that makes easy or possible. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. And I think also your, your confidence and experience and the, um, the social network that you have is super relevant as well. I think um, being mm -hmm. the first one in your community or family to do a thing like starting a business or creating some kind of media can be super scary. Even if say you have access to a grant or something, mm -hmm. um, that's an argument that always annoys me a little bit. And, you know, I am from Germany where universities are free. And so I talk about this in the UK a lot because it's so expensive to study here. And I sometimes people say, uh, hear people say, well, you know, but anyone can get a loan. 
And I really strongly feel that, yes, that might be true, but it takes a lot of confidence to trust that even though you are the first one in your environment to do this thing, mm-hmm. you will be able to pay it back or it's going to succeed, succeed in some way. So I think that in addition to money and financial resources, we need that emotional support as well. And not everyone mm-hmm. has that to an equal degree. Yeah. Yes. And I want to uh, circle back to give those that are listening that maybe have not been in this online marketing world for a while, um, which is like <laughs> totally cool. Um, to, to kind of illustrate what we we're talking about earlier when we said it, it makes a massive difference if you have some base capital to start with. What What I mean by that, for example, maybe you have other ideas about that as well, is um, you can create amazing content and you can start a podcast and you can start blogging and you will build your network over time. But for example, having like a grant to spend on Facebook ads to uh, have people opt into your freebie um, so that you can grow your, your email list and get a feeling for what people are into, that is huge. That can make such a big difference in your first year. And I know many people who have spent even five figures staying, you know, I have, I've had a client last year who um, built a website for, and we talked kind of further down the line again. And she said, well, I am, I am a five figure number into investing in my business now Mm -hmm. and I still haven't made any money and I don't know if I should continue. And I was like, wow, I've, I've never had that chance or possibility. And I don't want to go too deeply into the jealousy of that or like all these complex feelings that I had about it. But there's, there was also some like a sense of gratitude in me that um, I had to make it work in a different way. I had to be very practical about things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I think has given me a nice sense of grounding as well. So I think that is the flip side, at least to some extent of that as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's interesting. I think you're right that it is um, like it does take a certain amount of confidence and support to be willing to take risks too, like entrepreneurial risks, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's different ways that that can be created. And I'm really interested in um, new ways of doing that. You know, that aren't just based on kind of individually trusting that you've got enough backing or something to yeah. lean back on, but just like, what does it mean to build communities strong enough that we feel confident taking risks in all mm-hmm. sorts of ways? Mm-hmm. um including financial and just um yeah so yeah a place for a lot of like radical exploration yes yes totally I also feel that um uh, <laughs> um I, I, yeah kind of talking again about the comparison between Germany and the UK and just want to say again there's lots of stuff in Germany that goes horribly wrong I don't want to glorify that in any way but <laughs> Something I do often say is that I feel with the uh, property market in Germany, for example, being a lot more stable. So people in Germany are not as likely to own their own houses and houses in Germany also don't go up and down in value as much as they do in the UK, for example, or other markets. So I feel like for a lot of base level stuff in life, like having a home and having food, there's a higher sense of security, at least for me and my experience in Germany. And I think that makes people, yeah, that gives people the chance to take more risks creatively or in their businesses. And that is um, something that is really important to me. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing I wanted to say, I've lost, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah. Risk taking is, um, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Yes. It is. And, and it's interesting actually you saying about the 
in the more security in Germany because I noticed it comparing England to America you know like mm -hmm. I live in the United States now and um something I've thought about a lot is growing up my mum was on welfare for most of my childhood um and we lived in a council house um and so in some ways we were very poor you know and kind of at the sort of bottom of the <laughs> British economics but being being at the bottom of the British economy you know we still had healthcare, mm -hmm. and we still had a house um and we had enough food you know and things like that and just thinking about the difference of that in America um where those things <laughs> just like where welfare is really pretty different and mm. um how the sort of scarcity panic of really not having that social sort of state social safety net which is um interesting because I, it doesn't seem great in England obviously it's getting kind of decimated at the moment by Theresa May um <coughs> excuse me um but just comparing that and just thinking about the experience of scarcity when it's like when basic healthcare isn't um guaranteed yeah and just like the difference that i see in america of people being willing to really do things they hate just to have a job with benefits and mm -hmm. stuff like that you know yeah. um yeah. and it seems like it has a lot more control here because of that mm. yeah. yeah yeah it's really scary <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, something I just remembered what I the second thought I'd had just now was that something uh, one of the many points in which I fundamentally disagree with capitalism is also and I know we talked about this in another session is this idea that people are inherently lazy and need to be forced to contribute mm -hmm. or there has to be there has to be competition or there has to it has to be the sense of scarcity for people to um want to create and i say create in a really really broad sense by that i mean you know that could be anything from caring for someone to looking after children to coming up with a cool product or researching something or doing any kind of work that has that is creative and i think really all of work is creative you know mm -hmm. whether we are creating uh rooms or houses or <laughs> i don't know whatever mm -hmm. everything really and so i think that that really that that's not understood or that many people really struggle with this idea that we inherently want to contribute in mm -hmm. the way we can and that we just all have different resources to do that that really breaks my heart mm -hmm. totally yeah i so so agree with that and just that i think humans are yeah creative and want to contribute and are generous too and mm -hmm. um and that it's just that we don't want to necessarily do the things that capitalism tells us we have to do to survive you know and just like and yeah. um, to make profits for other people or whatever doesn't seem desirable um mm. but yes like i believe we want to be like in communion with life you know which is mm. participation to whatever degree that is um and yeah that that really makes me think about that generosity piece that i think humans naturally want to contribute to each other's well-being mm. um, and be generous with each other and then being raised in a system of scarcity um like real and artificial scarcity um it becomes almost irresponsible to be as generous as your heart kind of wants to be you know yeah. and like as a strong uh message in our culture not to do that and mm. i think that's really confusing and heartbreaking for people you know mm. um, yeah. but, but it's so normal that we don't mm. even recognize it as like a heartbreaking thing we just kind of notice we feel tense about money or scared or we're not 
giving when we think we should or something. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, I think it's really big. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And it affects our relationships so much as well. I feel that I've been on both ends of finding it really hard to receive a resource from someone who was very easily able to give it to me, but it still carried some shame for me to receive that. Mm -hmm. And I, I've had the other experience of really like wanting to share something nice I had and understanding that that that's hard to receive for other people as well. Mm -hmm. um, and it creates a big disconnect, I think, in so many ways. And that's, that's making us sick. And yeah, I mean, I could go on and on <laughs> about like mm -hmm. how, and how many levels this affects us. But yeah, ah, I yeah. would love to, oh, sorry, do you want to add something to that? Well, yeah, I was just thinking about um, that thing about it being like hard to receive mm -hmm. um, or how often, and I talked to people a lot about this just about how money affects our intimate relationships you know mm -hmm. there's so many conflicts in couples and stuff to do with money um and then just yeah what it's like to give and receive and I think that is because we're really taught these this thing about private property that if somebody owns something it's theirs basically mm -hmm. <laughs> and which sounds really simple and people just like, accept that as true but just like and then combined with the idea of meritocracy and people sort of deserving what they have Mm -hmm. That if somebody is then giving us something that's, you know, quote unquote, like unearned or not worked for, um, it disrupts that idea. And it's mm -hmm. fundamentally kind of slightly sort of jarring to us from our sort of cultural programming yeah. um, of that. And so I think that's one of the reasons it's so hard. And if we start to kind of decouple like money and worthiness and meritocracy and stuff, then we can start to just let things go where they will best be used and serve, you know, um, yes. and take some of the charge out of them. Yeah. Yeah, totally. That, that was beautiful. Um, I, uh, we, we touched a little bit about uh, on the idea of like alternative models of exchange. And I wondered if you can tell us a little bit more about what you're currently exciting about, excited about, or what you're experimenting with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, so sorry, the things that get me really excited, obviously there are all sorts of interesting projects happening with sort of alternative money stuff. But the things that I get really excited about are sort of intimacy-based um, models of exchange. And I know we, we talked a little, about, a little bit about this before. Mm -hmm. um, but just, I, I love kind of slowing it down to the level of noticing what it feels like to give something and to receive something. Mm -hmm. um, and to actually start to unlearn capitalism like through the body mm -hmm. um, and start to come into relationship like with ourselves and with each other and with the earth and money and resources um, and see what it's like to do things and I think it's at that level that we can start to notice where these little snags are of like shame or holding um, and start to undo that and like I believe in I very much believe in like huge collective action and social change and stuff and it, but just at the moment where my particular curiosities and interests are just like really noticing what money is to us and what it's like to move it around and so um doing things where you're sort of exchanging value in different ways in a relationship or in including work relationships or whatever um and having vulnerability be a part of that so having needs be really clearly on the table um, and really taking into account of, okay, if we don't have kind of a, uh, 
I'm going to back up and say, like, I think often in sales relationships, for example, there can be sort of some objectification going on, you know, where people mm-hmm. see somebody as a potential client or potential yeah. sale or something rather than as a full human, you know, mm-hmm. or alternatively on the other end, it's seeing someone as a service provider, like mm-hmm. as a thing. And I think if we, um, start kind of breaking that down and be like okay these are two people who are trying to offer things to each other and enrich each other's lives like what what do we actually want to share with each other and what do we need from each other and letting money be a part of that um because we do need money in this culture right now and so mm-hmm. not having shame around that being something we ask for from people mm-hmm. um including in, in exchange for labor um and so, yeah, so those things where people are having those kind of complex conversations about needs and making that visible both to just in their relationships and also publicly is what I'm really excited about right now. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited about that too. Awesome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm also really excited about sliding scales. That's something I started offering this year and I made really beautiful experiences with that. And it's just, uh, I mean, you know, obviously I can't say much about how people have placed themselves within that offering and if that's mm-hmm. fair or not but I can say that it just fe- feels really good and that's mm. I mean that is more than I can say about employment that I've had or about other pricing models that I've offered I feel that yeah it's been really great to give people the chance to acknowledge the resources that they have and access staff um, at a lower rate if that's what they needed and mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm, I'm interested in working with that some more and thinking about exchange and trades um, as well. Yeah. I love that. And I love that you sort of noticing that it just feels better to you, right? Like yeah. it's like having that, um, and I'm hearing in that too, like it's a prioritization of relationship and of people, you know, that there's yeah. um, not so much scarcity panic on your end, you know, you're kind of like mm-hmm. a slightly open-handedly offering something. Mm-hmm. Um, and also that, yeah, it's giving people that option to have choice and agency within the decision of like how to, how to engage. Yeah. Um, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also love to know, this might be a bit of an abstract question, but maybe something comes to mind. Because, <laughs> um, what do you wish everyone would know about money? Mm. Um. I think the thing I wish people knew about money is kind of a thing that I've noticed I'm kind of referring to throughout the course, just like a separation from money and um, ownership and the idea of that certain people should or do deserve certain things and not others. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like this touches on all the kind of systems of oppression and again, isms or something like ableism came first to mind just of how, um, just what it means if we think that only people who do certain things certain productive things are worthy of having their needs met mm-hmm. um and then just how yeah patriarchy and white supremacy and stuff like it really affect um our ideas of who's worthy of what and so i wish that people just sort of knew how these systems were created mm-hmm. you know and that it's not just this like natural inevitable thing mm-hmm. um but that things are both materially drastically unfair and we are walking around with a lot of stories about um whether we deserve something whether someone else deserves something 
um, that I think is at the root of a lot of our, you know, what in classic money coach talk might be like uh, money blocks or whatever Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. actually um, us bumping up against those systems of oppression, both internally and externally. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So I guess the main thing I wish people knew is just like, you have those money blocks for a reason. Like they are, you know, you're, you've been raised in a system that creates them um, and that it's possible to start unlearning that and doing something different and creating a new way of doing economics that's not based on scarcity and coercion. Mm. Um, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I probably have like so much to say and I'm going slightly blank. No, no, no. Yes. Yeah, I totally agree. And I love how you're talking about money blogs, both in, in the conversations that we had and on your blog as well and, and in anything that you've published really, because I think that often... I don't want to shame anyone and, and, you know, I'm not trying to bitch or anything, but what I mean to say is that um, in the kind of sphere of the law of attraction and some, some aspects of online marketing, I sometimes feel that we're talking about money blocks without acknowledging systemic problems and access. And it can sound a little bit like, oh, you know, if this person can do it, anyone can do it and you just need to dream bigger. And if you're, if you're not dreaming that big, then that is another flaw of yours. Mm -hmm. And what I hear you saying is that um, we do have these money blocks and we need to work with them, but we can also be really gentle with ourselves with that and acknowledge Mm -hmm. that we have them for a reason. It really has nothing to do with our own value is it is very deep conditioning. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that has so much more beautiful potential because that means we can really encourage people to dream bigger for themselves. That's something that's come up with for me. And I mentioned this again to you as well Mm -hmm. before it has become up so much last year that I felt like I really wanted to create space for people to dream bigger who have had, who haven't had a lot of access to resources before and who are currently feeling like, you know, if, if I can just keep my job right now, then, then that's good. And I'm, I'm more lucky than other people. And that's also true, you know, mm-hmm. um, but at the same time, I, I know so many people that are doing such amazing work and who are so amazing. And also that they're amazing doesn't really matter. You know, they could mm-hmm. also, be, they, they are amazing in, in the way all humans really are and, and they deserve to have their meet, needs met in the way all of us do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah totally I think that's um like is it what that bit you're saying at the end of just like it's important that you know that everyone have their needs met but I think also what you're talking about um is that um like how like internalized oppression basically affects our imagination and our sense mm-hmm. of what's possible mm-hmm. um you know that there are obviously very real systemic barriers in place to um to like class mobility or whatever accessing what people want and need um and that is so real and Mm. there's a lot of ways that um the class structure is maintained through ideology you know through basically raising people to believe that they just need to sort of accept their lot in life basically and that Mm. that's that um and something i think is kind of really interesting about a lot of the like law of attraction (laughs) stuff or just like um stuff where it gets into that kind of limitless thinking Mm. end of things was appealing to me or kind of there's certain things that are still appealing to me about it but I like taking it to its like 
full conclusion mm-hmm. <laughs> which is like liberation for everyone you know it's like it really mm-hmm. um i think that if we actually start looking at what our true desires are and start following that you know it is like we want um yeah more things like individually and stuff but i think we also do want a lot of things collectively mm-hmm. and i think if we start just entering the space of like imagining what's possible in the world and imagining what we really truly want for ourselves and for mm-hmm. others um it becomes this really expansive beautiful place to be making decisions from mm-hmm. um and i think within that we can make decisions about like how we take care of ourselves but also it goes beyond that and so i see that as one of the one of the big things of just like wanting to undo that story of just like having to accept how things are, you know, and mm-hmm. I think that has such huge repercussions. Yeah. Like I'm saying, sort of individually and collectively. Um, and so, so yeah, I just really want people to, uh, to, to know that things are real and then also to touch into agency and beauty and possibility mm-hmm. um, because those things are deliberately sort of taken from us, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely yes ah that was a beautiful note to kind of um almost end with and i would love you to share as a last question um what you're offering and where people can find you yeah so i'm creating some new offerings um right now and there's going to be a course that will be coming out in sort of march or april that i'm really excited about um, and I offer sort of different things throughout the year. Um, and so you can find that at feministabundance.com um, or on Instagram, which is at Sophie uh, Macklin, Sophie A. Macklin. Um, and Facebook, I share quite a lot of writing on Facebook, but if you go to my website, you can also sign up to my mailing list and then you'll be um, kept updated for the programs that are coming out around yeah sort of radical conceptions of abundance and really creating space for what you need so that you can really do the things you want to Mm -hmm. do in life like I just really (laughs) there's going to be a lot of exciting things this year just about actually um creating that kind of space like I was talking about for for risking and experimenting and doing the things that Mm -hmm. we really want to do in the world Mm -hmm. and having yes Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And your writing is really beautiful. So I would highly recommend people check that out. Thank you. Sophie, thank you so, so much for your time and for sharing your ideas and for being such an inspiration. It's been a real joy to talk to you and I can't wait to share this episode. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. Bye. Mm-hmm.